met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Uh, welcome to another episode of Subconscious Realms. I'm your host, General Lee, and for tonight, uh, it's a true honour to be joined by an author who's had around 59 years of interactions um, with, I'll say, the others. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the author of They, Dave Evans. Uh, now then, Dave, mate, you okay? Yes, I'm fine. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on the show, General Lee. Oh, and your your name is so, this, Dave. yeah, your name is so familiar here in the states, especially in the south. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yes, a, that's um, like, I asked you, like you, mate. Glad you like. Yeah, we started. Oh, so? yeah, yeah, we started yeah. communicating. I asked you about that, and I'm, I'm glad you explained that. That's a great name, though, really. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, See historical, uh, but no, I've had a lifetime experiences like uh, generally was talking, and I started off when I was 12 years old. Uh, my background is I, I went to high school, I, I, I maxed out uh, the test scores in the army, went to top secret nuclear weapons, didn't like it, got out of it, and I got Did proof you of that. Nuclear weapons, Dave? Yes, I, I went into the military, uh, and I was a high school graduate. And I went into a class, an elite class in Huntsville, Alabama, Red Star and Arsenal, and I was, I was with 15 other people. And, and myself and another guy were the only two high school graduates, and the others had master's and bachelor's degree uh, in physics and science and things of that nature. And, of course, you, you feel like, oh, wow, you're under a lot of pressure because all these other people are older and they're, they're more educated. But I was chosen because of my high test scores, so that's how I got in. But I didn't like it after a while. The military intelligence people interviewed us. I was only 19 when I first started. They interviewed us uh, on a constant basis every week, and I didn't like that as a young person. So I got, I just got tired of it. I went to the post chaplain to get out of the class and out of that group. And I had to go there two or three times because my grade point average was 89%, and the, the Army didn't want to drop me from that class. Uh, and I said, well, I got the post, post uh, chaplain to get me out of it. And a lot of people think, okay, what's going on here? He had a top secret and then he got out. Of it. Well, I didn't like it. I was too young. At the time, if I was about 22, 23 years old, I probably would have stayed with it because they were going to ship us to Sandia, New Mexico after that. And I didn't want to go underground and be in a top secret environment being young as I, I didn't understand all that. So it, I was too young to be in that program. Uh, yeah, pretty much, you yeah, I went into another, uh, I guess, school for a little while, uh, and then I got out of it. And then I, uh, I went to Vietnam because my brother got orders for Vietnam, and he, he, his wife was going to have a baby. So I said, no, I'm going to block him from going to Vietnam. So I sent my orders to his commanding officer, and I went to Vietnam. And lo and behold, I mean, one in the army, uh, you know, high test scores and and a, a real top notch class, and I ended up as a 
uh, infantry platoons sergeant in Vietnam. <laughs> it's a long story, but I, right, I've done, right. I, did, I did a good job there. And then uh, yeah, yeah. I, a guy got out and they was going to commission me as a lieutenant. They wanted me to stay in. They wanted to give me a field commission. I refused and I got out. And some people question that top secret. And I, I said, I got a pay, I got papers on that. I know exactly what it's all about. So that was that was my beginning. And then when I got out of the army, of course, I played music and then I worked as an electrician and I went to school part time and I got five years of college in journalism, uh, mass communications. And that's how I kept all my notes and kept everything up to date as I was going along with all these experiences. Well, that is part of my life. I've been been a business manager and all those other things. But. We're going to start in 1962 is when I first saw something very, yeah, very unusual in a backyard about 830 in the evening of summertime. So it was still just a little bit of light left getting really, it was kind of like, you know, getting a little dark. I was outside playing and my brothers and sisters already went in the house and we had a large family, 11 people. And of course we grew up poor and maybe that was part part of my thinking when I was in this class that, that I thought, okay, I didn't deserve this. You know, how did I get here? And of course, I know uh, later on that they told me I, my IQ and my my test scores were high, and it was kind of unusual for for us, you know, for eleven kids, and we and we were we were poor, and we didn't we didn't we 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 weren't even taught about college or anything. We just said go to work. You know, that was that was the blue collar mentality. So, but in 1962. I saw this thing. I looked up. I was sitting down in the yard. I was doing something, uh, playing with something. And this is when I was, uh, was 62. I would have been 13. I saw this thing that looked like a like a flat barge, like is rectangular, and it looked like it was probably about, rectangular. Yeah, yeah. It it kind of looked like it was, you know, like it was about 10 feet tall and looked like to me about maybe 40, 50 feet long. And it had bright white lights on the front, and at the bottom it had a blue hazy light, like that could have been part of the anti-gravity uh, field that was keeping it afloat. And it was coming real slow from the west. I looked up, and I thought to myself, "What is that?" You know, I was, I was, and then all of a sudden I didn't remember anything anymore. I had a little bit of fear. I, I remember ending up in my bed. Of course, I had to share a bed with my older brother, and I was laying there and I was numb. And my legs couldn't, I couldn't move, and I felt a presence beside me. I couldn't look and see the presence. As a matter of fact, I was a little afraid. But apparently, they nabbed me in that ship, and then they took me in, in my own house. Somehow or another, got me there, transported me there into my bed, and I, I kind of felt that the, the stranger was gone. And my feelings started coming back to me, and I turned to my brother and said, did you hear or see anything? He said, he said no, you're crazy. Go to sleep. And so I just laid back down and I just completely, uh, generally, I just completely forgot about that incident. I didn't even talk about it hardly. I mentioned it to my mom and she said, oh, you're just watching too many of those shows, you know, the scary, spooky shows. I said, no, mom. I said, I saw something and I I don't remember what's going on, but I saw something. But the next following year, uh, almost a year later, uh, this was my, I had a witness with me, my best friend at the time, and we're still, we still talk about that incident. Uh, as of this day, it was a summer evening. We just got out of school and we were sitting on his steps. He had a, he had a lower, uh, a, you know, a flat, he had an apartment there with his, him and his dad and they lived there together. And, and, uh, he was 13. I was 14 at the time. 
and we had a transistor radio, 10 transistor, and we were drinking Pepsi Cola out of glass bottles. So that'll date me right there. <laughs> that'll date 1960 <laughs> right there. So the radio started cracking, and I asked my buddy, I said, uh, he was always real sharp and real direct. And so I get, I expect a, a quick answer from him. He said, yes, I changed them. He said, they're brand new. And then, and then, uh, we smelled something It smelled like sulfur as kids. We didn't know what it was. I, I, I equated it to, uh, like powder smoke, you know, gunpowder smoke, because I went out hunting yeah. with my dad and I knew what gunpowder smoke smelled like. So it kind of smelled like that, but we just couldn't pin it down. And we looked up, we saw these lights they were kind of coming across the treetops real slow. And we thought, what is that? And so we got up and then my brother, uh, my, my friend, he said, let's go to my dad's truck and get a flashlight. I said, okay, fine. We go up there and he carries the flashlight and uh, he was flashing the flashlight at this thing was moving along with it parallel with the street. It was, it was probably about maybe uh, 150 yards from us at that time. And uh, we could see it crawl, you know, crossing the tops of the treetops, and there's leaves on the tree. He was blinking his flashlight at it. And one of the things that he said, and I have this in the book, he mentioned that it was blinking back at us. But that isn't what I observed. Back. Yeah, it wasn't blinking back at us. What, what was happening was the tree leaves were, were you know, covering it for a second, and then also, and then, and then would, it would, the lights would come back on through the leaves. And I thought, no, it was the leaves that was causing it to look like a blinking type of incident. And so I told my buddy that here a while back, and it's it's. And I said, you're going to disagree with that, but uh, I said that's what I saw. And I I know that when you have two witnesses, sometimes you'll pay more attention to certain things. So right, he right. he thought they were blinking back, and I thought, no. I said, buddy, I said those were. Those are the treetop uh, leaves that were causing it to flash off and on. So we got up into this empty lot, and this empty lot actually looked over my backyard. It was just a little hill that you go down, and, and you would be in my backyard. And the hill wasn't that steep. It was just like a big bump. So this thing stopped right over my backyard. It was about 35 feet wide and looked like maybe about 22 feet tall, somewhere in that area. It had three levels. It looked like one of these little fat toy tops that you wind up with a crank. Uh, you know, I don't know how old you are generally, but I remember those those uh, tops that you wind up with a corkscrew, and then you let. Yeah, it go. I, I am forty-four years young, Dave, mate. Okay, so <laughs> so uh, that's what it kind of looked like. It had three levels. The bottom level was about ten feet tall. The middle level was was about eight feet you know, tall. And then the top level, uh, five or six uh, feet tall. And it was on in layers. The second level had portals, windows. And at the bottom, and this is what my buddy, he saw, he saw like, like protrusions from the bottom. And I said, no, I said, I, I saw just nothing but blackness under the bottom. And that's where they burned through the atmosphere at, at the bottom. That's what caused it to be black. And that's where the smell was coming from. So I kind of put those things together, and I said, "No, I, that isn't uh, that is exactly what I saw." I but he, I was paying attention to the shadows in the in the portals, the windows. They looked like they were kind of like snowy-looking uh, glass, and th these move. There was some movement. I said, "I I touched my buddy." I said, "I don't want to see them. They're, they're, they they might be scary." But you know, when you go to a movie theater and when you're a young kid. 
you go there knowing that this monster movie is going to scare you, but you still go there because you enjoy it. You enjoy that yeah, scare. That adrenaline is it, mate. Yeah. Uh, but so I was I was really curious about seeing them, but I was scared about seeing them. It didn't make any noise that I know of. My my buddy said that he heard a slight whizzing noise. I did not hear that. I was paying right. more attention on visual contact, and he was kind of like, I guess, in the auditory uh, contact. And like I said, w- different witnesses have different strengths in, in you know, what they look at. So I, I, I was there, and I was thinking, okay, this is uh, – this is weird. This is scary. And we pinched each other to make sure it was it was real. And he pinched me kind of hard. And I said, ow, that hurt. And and he said, well, we got to make sure we're not sleeping and we're not in a daydream. I said, no, we're not sleeping. I know that for sure. I said, and then we kept standing there watching it. And, and we had a little, little conversations back and forth. I said, I wish my brother Jack was here to see this. He usually hung out with us. Uh, he's my older brother. And he used to hang out with us a lot. But he wasn't with us that night. So we we had a little small talk. I remembered some of it. I wrote it down in a regressed dream. And we both stood there still in that empty lot looking at this thing. We were about 125 feet maybe away from it. We were very close. And all I remember then is that we ended up standing there a little, little it felt like a, a while, a long time or whatever, but this started around between 10 and 10 30 in the evening and when we first saw it and when we got we got done standing there it there must have been an hour or so time lapse because we were missing an hour or so we didn't know what time it was we didn't have watches we were young kids back in the early 60s we didn't have cameras we didn't have watches uh, uh number one we couldn't afford them number two we didn't wear them anyway i had a cheap timex that i didn't wear anyway so we didn't keep track of time i after it was over with, my buddy says, wow, that was neat. It was gone. So he said, I'm going to go home and tell my dad about this. I said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go home and tell mom. You know, I said, wow, this is, this is crazy. And he, he went home and he said, he told his dad and his dad said, yes, yeah, son, uh, you saw flying saucer. Uh, now go to bed. That's it. That's all they wanted to hear. I went <laughs> home. <laughs> I went home. I had a little bit of different, uh, and then, you know, I guess, uh, homecoming i went to the door and the door was locked and my mom didn't usually lock the door until it was pretty late it had to be late for her to lock the door so she unlocked she come to the door and locked it she says where have you been i said i've been with with my with my friend and she knew him quite well it's just just a few houses over and and she goes you know how late it is i said no mom i don't i wish she would have told me i did not know myself i wish she would have told me and she says, it's late. She said, you shouldn't be out this late. And she said, I said, but mom, I saw a flying saucer. She said, I'm going to fly and saucer your butt and I'll get in the house. And I said, <laughs> okay. Uh, but little did I know, uh, you know, very in a short period of time, I, I found out that her and her family, her sisters, saw a UFO or flying saucer themselves. Really? Yes. And so she believed in it, but she didn't want me to buy into it because she didn't want me to have fear. She wanted to try to keep that away from me or protect me. So when I went to bed, I, I was couldn't sleep that night. I was really, you know, I was really said, wow, this is crazy. Next day I woke up and I told some of my other friends and they said, you're crazy. And they laughed at me. And my parents, of course, laughed at me. And, 
And so my buddy and I, we were the only two that really believed what we saw because we really, we really saw something. And my, my buddy and I, we didn't have, after that, I was the only one had any follow-up like in journalism, you, you have one shoe that drops and then you wait for the other one to drop. That means you got to have facts that correlate one another. So what, what happened to me was, uh, two weeks later or so, I was, I felt something in my left testicle area and I thought that's a lump. And I looked down and I saw a line, a real thin red line. It looked like nowadays I know what it was. It was a laser cut. It was real thin and red and about an inch long almost. And I looked at that and I felt this lump and I said, what's going on? And I kept pushing it out. Uh, I've kept pushing that lump out through that cut red line. There was no blood, no, no blood or nothing. Yeah before or even it's after it's like it's one of those it's like a cut what um it's like automatically cauterized when it's being done right. so that's why it looks so neat yeah and yeah. i pushed it out finally generally i finally got it out and it looked like a little advil like a little m&m tablet it was ash in color it was light color and then it uh after i had it out for a little bit it started turning more brown tan color and then i showed my mom I said, Mom, then now, now, granted, this is only a couple of weeks after that, that UFO, uh, you know, sighting. So I showed it to her and she goes, where'd you get that? I said, in my course, I use different language. I said, in my testicles. And she says, it's just an ingrown hair. She said, throw it away. I said, no, Mom. I said, it was not an ingrown hair. I said, there was a line cut. There was a red line about an inch long. There's a red line that I pushed it out. It did not bleed. It didn't even really hurt. She looked at me kind of weird looking like, okay, something's not making sense here. You know, he, he's, this has happened to him, but she looked like she had fear on her face and she says, throw it away anyway. I, I want to be done with it. And so I did throw it away. Of course, back then we didn't know anything about implants. We didn't know anything about taking pictures. We didn't know much at all about flying saucers or UFOs back in that time. It was just starting to begin uh, that we started learning things. And, and normally back then they would have these radio announcements that if you see a flying saucer, stay away from it. Don't get close to it. Well, we didn't obey. We got close to it. Uh, but the other thing I had was a regressed dream. This regressed dream took me back into the ship. This was about oh, two, three months later that I had it. And I remembered quite well because anytime you have a lucid dream, it's just, it's burned into your memory. It, 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 you can't lose it. It's not like a normal dream or a typical dream where you, you don't even know what you dream when you wake up. Well, this was a, a lucid dream that I had, and it, it took me back into this room. It was dark. I was sitting on a metal table, shiny, kind of like a metal table, and, and it was really dark and warm in there. And I was trying to put on a shirt that was too small for me. I was bigger than my, my, uh, my buddy. He was small. Yeah. I was kind of like a large, uh, chubby guy. So I couldn't get the shirt on and I was groggy. Like I was drunk. I felt his presence in the room. It was to the right of me on another table, but I couldn't see him because it was so dark. And I, I thought, okay, what's going on here? And then I, I finally, I guess, apparently we both showed up on that empty lot with our clothes in order. So they, apparently they, they found the right shirts to put back on both of us. They helped us out. Apparently, uh, that, that was a regressed dream that I had. And my buddy did not have a regressed dream. Uh, 
I, I take it that his consciousness level wasn't as quite as high as mine. Not that that's something right. that I'm begging about, but it's just something that happens. Uh, he's more, I guess, down to earth and kind of sometimes rude in a way. So, uh, but uh, but we're good friends. We we've learned to get along all these years. But uh, I had that dream, and I told him, I said, "Look, I said I had that dream, and I said I know what happened, and I had that that uh, implant." And even my buddy looked at me like. Really? I said, yeah. And I guess he wondered, he said, well, nothing happened to me. I said, are you sure? I said, you sure you did, never had an implant? He didn't really know. So, and he said that was, he said, well, he didn't disbelieve me because he knew what we saw and what we went through. So he knew that anything could happen, but I guess he was wondering why is this happening to me and not to him afterwards? Uh, the other thing too, I went back and and drew this thing out. We were looking at this UFO from the south, uh, southwest, and actually when the UFO took off, it was in a due west. I watched it take off. Now my buddy didn't see this. I must have come out of what they call I call it dumbing down. They they use a magnetic energy on you uh, to to control your mind and to dumb you down. And I must have woke up quicker than him, and I saw this this UFO just take off real fast into the due west, into the clouds. And I said, wow. And he did not see that. That's another thing he didn't see that I saw. And when I drew it out, I thought, okay, this thing moved probably about 35 degrees or so uh, from south, from southwest to the due west. And I thought, okay, it moved. We didn't see it move. So right there is something was not right or, or you know they it must have moved as it took it's us just so quick yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. i figured we was on the ship uh, for about an hour uh some way or another or we was taken to another location real quick and brought back within an hour because we had about an hour or so missing time and he he kind of agrees to that uh but he's had he's had no interaction with ets ever since then uh after that, of course, uh, I was in the military. I come out. I went to school part time. I played music. I've been a musician for 45 years. Uh, they also like musicians, from all indications, uh, because of the brain waves. I guess musicians use both sides of their brain, uh, th because that's been noted in history. A lot of musicians have been approached by ETs. Uh, that's one of the many theories, but. As I went through and I was playing and I was going to school and I was working five days, six days a week, I would only see little like bright objects in the air floating around like orbs. I didn't pay much attention to them because I saw the real thing. So I, yeah. I saw these little things, but I didn't pay no mind to them. Actually, off and on, and right now I'm getting little like paranormal things that happen to me. Uh, paranormal. Yeah, the paranormal stuff happens. It's actually maybe not paranormal. It's actually an ET consciousness that is controlling you and controlling your environment. Uh, they they actually go into your consciousness, subconscious. They actually can control your dreams. They can control everything about you. Uh, they they know how to how to control your total environment. So a lot of people call it paranormal. I will call it paranormal for namesake. Uh, but I actually think it's it's due to ET involvement in your life, and they're letting you know that they're still there, and they're still watching uh, whatever. 
but I didn't have another experience for a while until let's say the seventies and eighties. I experienced like some paranormal things, knocks, and I experienced other things that I just didn't pay much attention to. I was a a young ex-combat veteran, so nothing too much scared me. So I didn't pay much attention to these all these little paranormal things. I didn't make notes on them during the seventies or eighties. Uh, because I remember the little things and the little things didn't really get to me, but I did remember the real big things that happened to me in the 60s. But getting to that, my first, after my first real up-close visitation happened in 1995. Uh, I was was married at the time, and my wife, and now ex-wife, she wanted the room real dark in the bedroom. She she put a blanket over the over the curtains to make it dark uh, for her sleep. So I I was laying there one night, and apparently what happens generally is something wakes you up. I don't know why it is, and they say three o'clock is a bewitching hour, and that's true yes, because yes, because things happen between two thirty and about four thirty in the morning usually, and I don't know why that is, but around it was close to three in the morning. Uh, I thought it was my my daughter coming in to coming in through our bedroom into our bathroom to get aspirins because she had headaches a lot uh, during that time, and I thought it was her. So I got I woke up. Apparently, I did. She didn't make any noise. Or this thing didn't make any noise. So the noise didn't wake me up. Something else woke me up. Maybe it's my consciousness that woke me up. So I got up, put my chin in my right palm, and I was leaning there. And I was looking up and I saw this dark figure walk across the mirror. And like I said, it was dark and I couldn't really tell what what it was. Was I called out her name, my daughter's name, three times, no answer. So this object walks around the side of the bed. And I, I turn and put my hand up and I put my chin in my left hand palm. And I looked at it, what stood beside me. It was about three and a half feet tall. And it was the ugliest, most wrinkless thing you've ever seen. I mean, it wasn't like these commercial uh, uh, little grays. Yeah, yeah. This thing had some real deep wrinkles, and it was really old-looking. And it had big oh. eyes, twice our size. I could see the, you know, the whites of the eyes, but I couldn't tell the color, uh, you know, of their eyes, the iris, whatever. But I, I looked at looked at this this thing, and I thought, oh my God, it was gray green looking. Uh, and maybe more gray because of the light, but it was looking directly at me and I felt fear for about five or six seconds. And then I just went out. It put me out. I think what it did, it was doing, I got three types of abductions. I talk about our, our contacts that I talk about it. Number one is bedside uh, abduction where they take frequency testings of your brain. They upload your information from your brain. They take DNA samples. They take semen samples. That's bedside. Now, with a woman, they might do the same thing, but if they're looking for eggs, you know, for fertilization, that's a little bit more deeper, you know, uh, I guess, uh, uh, procedure. So a lot of times they will take them on board ship to do that. And that's why women sometimes, you know, have these more nightmarish type, uh, you know, things happen to them. And a man doesn't have that, that, that many procedures to go through. But when I woke up, 
my eyes were just flickering. I mean, like a nervous tick, and I was vibrating all over. I turned to the wife, and she was asleep. I said, did you hear or see anything? And she goes, no, go to bed. And I thought, okay, whoever you're with, they knock them out anyway. They, they're not aware of what's going on. Even your dog is put down to sleep, so they can do what they got to do without any interruption. So I went to the bathroom, and I looked at my eyes, and they were just fluttering. I said, what's going on? And I washed my face with cold water and I tried to get a hold of myself. I said, okay, I'm going to, all right, it's only about an hour or so from when I have to go to work anyway. So I went in and watched TV and tried to settle down and I pranced the floor. I said, this is all starting again. That, this, that was my first, you know, conscious contact since yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the first one, uh, the, the two that I had earlier on in life. But this was, was there, Dave, was there, was there a vast difference in your first time and the, the second time? Uh, in fear, uh, the fear level was about the same, but right, okay. Actually, I don't, I don't experience any real pain or or any torture or anything like that. I'm sure they're they've left implants in me that I'm not aware of. I know I got an implant in my left ear right now. And the doctors can't, they, they can't figure that out. But I think he left an implant, but he took semen because later on I found out where that semen went. And, and as the story goes on, as my chronological process goes on, then, then uh, I'll talk about that. But during the rest of the 90s, I was playing music and I, uh, I was going through a divorce. So a lot of things, when you're in a lot of stress in life and you're going through life changes, a lot of times they don't visit you. And I think the reason why is because they want you to, your consciousness to be higher. And if you're going through stressful periods in your life, like you have a disease or if you're going through, uh, you know, changes of jobs or, or marriage or whatever, uh, those stresses kind of, they don't like that. They kind of stay away from you uh, during those times. So that's what happened to me in the late 90s. And then in, uh, it was around 2001, I was at work at a refinery and I was the lead man there and I went to work there and I turned down a radio offer because there was more money in a refinery and in the oil business. Uh, so, and benefits. So I took that and I was on this deck is about 140 feet up. I was checking the equipment, looking at the vessels, making sure there's no hot spots or whatever. And I saw this, uh, this shiny thing coming floating towards me from the East. And I stood there and I said, what is this? And I kept watching and it, it was about 15 feet wide. It looked like a glider. It was all metal, no seams, no rivets, no windows, no cabin, nothing. Didn't make any sound. And it was traveling from the east to me real slow. And I called down to the control room and said, you guys need to take a look at this. And then they said, they laughed. They said, oh no, Dave and those UFO things. I said, yeah, this is a UFO. So I watched this thing coming towards me. It had one vertical tail uh, wing and it had two wings that were kind of like slanted back like and they were about, and the wings expand was 15, maybe a little over 15 feet wide. And the cabin looked like it was probably three or four feet wide. And I, I thought, what is this all about? And so it went by me. It was about 75 feet in the air from me. And also, oh, the first, the, the, the second UFO that I saw, uh, the first one was about 100 feet up. The second one I saw was about 75 feet or less up in the air from us, my buddy and I. And this one was about 
uh, is about 150 feet up, except it come close to me because I was at 140 feet up. It come close to me and then it turned due south and went south real slow. And I kept watching it and I felt a little bit of tingling, a little bit of energy. Uh, I didn't know exactly what it was. And, and I said, wow, what happened here? You know, so I go down and I, I, I knew better to talk to the guys because they, they were not open-minded about UFOs. They didn't want to talk to them about it. Uh, but then the second, again, the first shoe, that was the first shoe to drop. And the second shoe to drop is just a few nights later, I had this very lucid dream that I was in the refinery and I was checking the equipment going around. I didn't hear any sound. And I thought, what's going on? So I went to the to the big blower room in which uh, blew into the reactor that created all the heat, 1500 degree heat. Uh, and it was very loud. You had to wear earplugs in, in those areas. So I didn't hear anything there. It was quiet. I said, oh no, the unit is down. And that one thing in a refinery, especially in a gas plant, you don't want the unit to go down because number one, it's dangerous. And number two, you have to go through a lot of work. It takes two days to get it back up and going. And it's that's a 16 hour shift. So nobody wants that. So I ran into the control room. All the lights were out. The operating lights were all out. And I stood there in the middle of the floor. Nobody was in there. And something telepathically come to me. It told me, it says the plant will be closed in a few months. And I thought, um, that was a message. And I, I, so I told the guys the next day about the message. And of course they said, you're crazy. I said, they just pumped in five or $6 million into re renovating the, this, this gas plant. I said, I know they did, but maybe they're preparing to sell it or whatever. And, uh, and they said, no, you're crazy. You're wrong. This, this, this refiner is going to keep going and going. I said, okay. I, so right after that, I had to go in for back surgery. So when I went in for back surgery, uh, then I, I about a few a uh, couple of weeks after my surgery, I heard that the plant was shutting down, and they were sh shutting the plant down, and they what they didn't even sell it actually they sold parts of it, and I thought to myself, well, that's exactly what I saw, and I said, now I hope those guys understand my my dream. What they did, General, yeah. was they they downloaded information to my brain. They they give me a little little tip of the future. So apparently these ETs know the future. They can read the future and give it to you. And maybe that's how Nostradamus got a lot of his information was from outside hey, sources. Mate. That's a good shout. Do you think there's a possibility that they are from the future? And they're uh, traveling back in time? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a possibility hey, that they're nice. doing that too. Uh, everything right now, you know, like studying for this this book that I've got, Angels, watches, and other uh, supernatural. Uh, I, I'm learning quite a bit from this. This this book is amazing to me because the first book come from from my memory. It was total, you know. They what do they want? It was it was actually memory. I I took a look at my ledger for dates and times, but I but most of it all I remembered it all because it's burned in my subconscious. Uh, but when you make those kind of notes. You know, it's it's okay. It locks it in for you, but it's the memories are are more important. So I wrote that from memory. The second book, I wrote half of it, the senseless wars uh, and conflicts. I wrote half of that with my Vietnam memoirs, and then the other half was about all the other wars, like Iraq, Afghanistan, all the blood and treasure that we lost, and for nothing. You know, because at the end of it, 
they go back to doing what they want to do, and, and there's terrorism in, in Afghanistan now. So all that blood and treasure we give for for naught. I mean, it's just well, that's what I wrote the book about. But this yeah, book, yeah. this book generally has taught me a lot because I'm doing a lot of research, uh, biblical uh, verses, and also uh, studying angels and ET parallels. Yeah, uh, Dave. Dave, uh, so I was to you, mate. Uh, are you a religious person? What's that again, sir? Are you religious? I, I, I have been going to church all my life. I think I've visited every church that, that exists. Do I? I like going to church. Well, uh, are, are you a religious person? Would you say like uh, if you? Uh, I'm, you I'm a, a Christian. I'm a godly person. I, I believe right, okay. I'd, I'd, yes. Yeah, and when I if I do go to church, my wife is a fundamentalist, and she has to go to church. I don't get along with fundamentalists uh, because right. they're they're close-minded and narrow-minded. Matter of fact, uh, any church I go to, if they find out that I'm in the UFOs and I, I'm an author of a UFO book, uh, they're probably going to turn their back. Uh, they did that to me about a year or so ago. I went to a men's group. Oh, they they're lost, me. mate. They're lost. Yeah. And I asked them, I, they asked me, so what do you do? I said, well, I'm retired, but I'm, I'm writing books. They said, oh, what are you writing about? I said, UFOs and ET abductions. And they give me the dirtiest look. There was two of them staying. They look at me and they said, we don't, we don't, we're not into that stuff. And they turned and walked away from me. Yeah, they that, don't understand me because they have narrow minds, not like us. No, they're, they are narrow-minded. They're boxed yeah, in. Yeah. Uh, they've been yeah. brainwashed. And yeah, Dave, I, you know, you put, you book angels, watchers, and other supernatural beings. When, when would you say that's that's out, mate? Uh, I will be finished with the text portion of it within two weeks. Uh, the picture portion, I'm only about halfway done with it. My publisher said they will help me with some of the pictures, and the the one publisher, well, both of my publishers want this book, uh, but I'm I'm thinking about giving it to the one who. Who given me? Who's given me better customer service? So I won't say say the names or anything. But uh, but they said that they would have they have pictures and things that they can draw from from what they uh, are hearing. You know what I need. So that it, it'll be uh, probably a little bit larger than my the first two books. Uh, this right now is probably closing in on a hundred pages typewritten, and in a book that equates to about two hundred and fifty pages. If you're going by a standardized paperback book, uh, so it'll be larger than that after the pictures and everything. So it'll be a little bit larger book. Now, my second book oh, okay. was 260 something pages, Senseless Wars, but uh, yeah, it's it. So I, I'm putting a lot into this one because a lot of research and, and uh, so, but the parallels with angels and ETs and spiritual beings, and how the prophets and the uh, Enoch, it, you know, it all began there, and and Noah, you know, uh, a lot of people think, well, Noah, Noah was an ET. I mean, there's no doubt uh, in in a couple of the books that were written about Noah uh, and Enoch, uh, the books of Enoch, it says that Noah, when he walked in a room, he lit up the room. He was really light complected. He was very tall. He had different color hair, different color eyes than than the original, you know, than the regular. Uh, Middle East race has, and he looked different. He also had powers, uh, but he didn't. He didn't do so many things that were so great. The greatest thing he's he did was he listened to God about building the ark. Uh, so he built that boat uh, to save 
two of every kind, but it's not not what people think. It wasn't two of every kind. It was two DNAs of every kind that he stored, and so that's so he couldn't get two of every kind of animal on an ark. Uh, that's impossible with all the, the creatures we have here on on this planet. So it has to have been, you know, it would have had to have been the, the DNA containers that he had, not the actual animals or, or people. Uh, but no, I, from chronologically, it was 2001, I saw the, I saw my third UFO. Uh, 2004 and five, I had my own business. I was running, I was running 18 hours a day, actually doing that business. I didn't do so well, so I got out of that, lost some money, so I didn't do it again. So I, I did other things. I worked with American Red Cross and uh, AmeriCorps. I did things like that. Uh, I, I believed in doing uh, that type of thing. I, I worked with churches even in the past, volunteer. I, I played music for charitable organizations. So I was always that type of person, uh, generally. I was. I, it wasn't religious, but I was just a charitable person and a, and a person who likes yeah, you, you, you go. You like you sort of go above and beyond for uh, for, your, for your fellow human, so to speak. Yeah. Is that what is that what you would say? Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I no. Have to get you, mate. Yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, I in two thousand. Let's see, two thousand eight and nine. I started traveling a lot out west. Uh, saw some things out west that were kind of weird. I actually I saw most of the UFOs here in Illinois. In the Midwest and the U.S. Illinois. Yeah, that's where I saw all my UFOs. To tell you the truth, uh, I saw some out in out west, but they were up higher up and they glittered and shined and moved around. But I never saw them close up. Uh, but what takes me to another one of the big stories in the book, in which I, I dedicated a lot of time, was with I ran into Hiroko. She was a real, true ET humanoid, and. Uh, I ran into her in Sedona, uh, Arizona, uh, 2010, October 4th. And just before then, about two weeks before then, I went to a, a spiritualist. She was a reader and a friend of mine who writes ghost books. He gets into mysteries and he's a writer, a good friend of mine. And I met him back when we were going attending UFO meetings and, and things of that nature. But he told me to go to this lady. Uh, and it, it well, was, what's, your, what's your author friend's name, mate? Uh, you about to say. Uh, Larry Wilson. He's a ghost. Larry Wilson, okay. Yeah. Uh, and if you're into ghosts, he'd be a good, a good guess for you to, to get a hold of. I love anything like that, Dave, anything supernatural. Yeah. And he's written, oh, I guess, I don't know, 10, 11 books so far. And he goes wow. out, he's got boots on the ground. He goes out and he investigates and he, he, he does it on his own. So most of everything he writes about is his work. And his face-to-face -face encounters and things of this nature. So, yeah, he's a very smart guy. Uh, and I've always liked him. We we got along really well. Uh, he calls me Spielberg with with the stories that, I, that the stories that I have and, and the things that I've been through. But uh, yeah, he's he's a great guy. But getting to this uh, spiritual reader two weeks before I went on this trip, she didn't know I was going on this trip, and Larry told me to call her and make an appointment. So I made an appointment with her. Uh, she was half uh, Native American Indian, and you can tell in her shop she had a lot of you know uh, Native American Indian articles and, and things that she sold. But she she sat there, and we I sat down, and she she said, "I want you to be quiet in between when I'm thinking." I said, "Okay," and she closed her eyes, and she would think, 
And then she looked at me, she said, you have a bad back. I said, well, I'll give that to you because maybe I might've walked in a little hunched over coming in the door. And she kind of looked at me like she was kind of mad. She was frustrated because she was told that by uh, one of her guides. And see, then she told me, she said, uh, you're going to have, she said, you're going to, on a trip. I said, yes, how'd you know? She said, it's how soon is that? And I said, it's probably going to be around October 3rd, somewhere in there. And she she told me, she said, on this trip, she said, I was told you're going to have car damage. But she said, you'll be able to make it. Your car will be, able, be, be drivable and you'll be able to make it to New Mexico to see your friends. I said, okay, wow. I said, I said, will I be hurt? She goes, no. They told me, they told me you won't be hurt. Your car uh, won't be stopped. It'll just be damaged. I said, okay. And then she said the third thing, and which was very phenomenal. She said on October 4th, she said, you're going to meet your first DT. I said, Cheryl, I've already met one, possibly two already. She said, well, you're going to meet an ET on October 4th. And she said, where are you going to be on that date? And I said, well, I should be in Arizona. And she said, well, that's where you're going to see it. She told me a couple other things in which were were personal, but she was right on. Uh, I never met a person who was, and I told her I didn't like psychics. And she come on point. She was, she said, I'm not a psychic. I'm a spiritual uh, reader. I have guides who tell me what's, you know, what's going on. I, and she was correct on all five issues that she stated. She said there was a blonde that was looking for me, and that could have been a Nordic, a Nordic ET, and which would have fit into all this, you know, mess that I was in with ETs. But when I went out on the trip out west, I went out there and I took a quick nap when I arrived in Sedona. I drive straight. I drive 23, 24 hours straight. I don't stop or anything except to get, except to go to the bathroom or or to get a drink or get a bite to eat, and then I, I'm back in the car and I'm on the move again. So I took a couple hour nap and I went to this gift shop and they said, they just saw a, a UFO at Cathedral Rock. And it's just, I said, oh yeah, I know where that's at. Cause I was there a year before and I was there with my brother 10 years earlier. Yeah. So I kind of knew the area. Uh, I went there, drove into the parking lot, nobody else was there. And I took my Sony camera out and I was starting to record because the camera will pick up things that the eye won't pick up. So I started recording and then pulls in behind me in another space, a little white car. Well, out pops this gal about five foot five, five, six, and she was Asian descent, uh, Japanese, but she was, it was hard to tell. She wore a real flimsy, light, a white sweater top with a tank top underneath of it and blue jeans. And I remember the blue jeans had a had a real big mud smear on the front of the left leg. And uh, she come up to me like a little whipped puppy smiling at me. So I was recording and I recorded her a little bit on the camera. And I told her, I said, I'm here looking for UFOs. And she just kind of looked at me kind of funny. And and then I said, what is your name? She said, Hiroko. And I said, oh, mine's Dave. Hiroko. Hiroko, yeah, that's in the book. I even got a picture of in the book. In the book, I got seven. Yeah, I've got, I've got that up here, mate. It's, um, yeah, I, I, I got about nine pictures of her. Yeah, nine pictures. Yeah, and uh, I've got a, look at the picture on page thirty-two. It is, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's she was uh, she was strange, but she, uh, I put down my camera and I said, "Are you here to take a hike?" I said, because it's cloudy and rainy looking. And uh, she goes, no. I said, are you here to wait for somebody? She goes, no. 
and I, I said, what are you doing? Just looking at the, at the, uh, you know, Cathedral Rock. She goes, no, I'm here to meet you. I said, you're here to meet me. She goes, yes. And, and I, she said, we were supposed to meet. I said, do I know you? She says, no. I said, do you know me? She goes, yes. And that kind of blew my mind. I said, how do you I know? Did. I bet, I bet he did. I hope he, he didn't know what to think. Yeah, I was kind of lost then, generally. I didn't know what to think. Oh, I bet, I bet. Yeah, so it started sprinkling. And so I said, you want to get in the car and we can talk? Because I, I, I saw some red flags start popping up. And I thought, what's going on here? My military training told me I should be prepared for any kind of a situation. But I wasn't worried about it uh, because... When she got in the car, she sat there and I looked at her and said, are you afraid of being in a car with somebody you don't know and, and a big galoot like me? And she goes, no. I said, you can kick my butt. She goes, yes. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> I said, I said, oh my God. And, and then in pulls beside me about a, a space over, it was a little white car. Looked like a guy, young guy in his, his uh, 20s, upper 20s. And he had close cropped haircut and he had a he had a head headset on with a microphone and, and one side of the ear. And yeah. I looked at him and I, he did not look over at me at all. Normally when somebody pulls up, they'll look around, uh, you know, to take a look at where they're at and everything and who's around them. Yeah. He did not look one time. I kept watching him and I turned my attention from Hiroko to watch him to see, you know, what he was up to. I looked at her and I said, do you know him? And she shook her head. She goes, no. And I said, uh, Oh, mate, I'll tell you what. Yeah, he's, he's kind of weird. I said, and at that time I, we started talking and she started talking about, I said, I said, you're from Tokyo. You said, she goes, yes, I'm from Tokyo. And she said, my mom and dad were mean to me. And she started crying, putting on, it was a fake cry. What she was doing in which, uh, I guess a professor, uh, Mac and also Dr. David Jacobs said that these people, they're trying to elicit emotions from humans so they can learn how to be more human-like because they miss the, the emotion part of it. They're more intelligent than we are, but they don't have our emotions and they have to understand those better. So she was asking me questions and I knew right away from reading and studying on the research on UFOs that, that she was trying to elicit emotions from me. Well, this little white car pulls out and it leaves. And I said, okay. And I looked at her and I said, uh, I said, are you, you married, got kids? She goes, no, but I, I have to have a baby. And I said, do you have a boyfriend or, or a husband? She goes, I have a boyfriend, but he's mean to me. And while she was kind of crying, I touched her hand uh, on the console and her hand was burning hot. I mean, above fever pitch. Burning gen- hot. Yes, yeah, really hot. Uh, That's yeah, and it was cool outside, and it was rainy, and she didn't have much clothing on. And I told her, I said, a young lady like you, she looked like she was in her early 30s. She said, I said, you should be cold. And I said, uh, but you're burning hot. And she kind of pulls her hand away. She said, I'm okay, I'm fine. I said, are you sure? I said, I said because you are super hot on your, your hand. I said, like, a, like way above fever pitch. And uh, she goes, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then we got back on her wanting to have a baby. And she said, yes, I'm supposed to have a baby. I said, why are you supposed to have a baby? I said, why, why do you, I said, is it really necessary to have a baby? She goes, 
yes, I need a baby. And I said, okay. I said, uh, well, go back home and, and marry your boyfriend and have a baby, you know, so go from there. But a lot of people thought, okay, this is a romantic situation, an older guy and a younger woman. Uh, no, it wasn't. It actually, it felt more like a father-daughter situation. Well, here pulls in this white car again with this this guy that looked like CIA, or I found out later yeah. he's probably NSA because my computer was hacked soon after that, and I think NSA left their mark uh, on my computer as an icon. I had to get my computer totally repaired. So, wow. yeah, they, they dug in to find out what she told me, uh, what they were doing. Uh, so this guy didn't look at me again. I kept watching I had a license to carry a gun, and in Arizona you can carry a gun anyway, but I looked at my console. She looked at me, and when she looked at me, her eyes were piercing. They were very, they got really black, and they pierced, and I couldn't look at her. I said, wow, Hiroko, I said, cut back on the piercing eyes. I said, wow, you're burning the, a hole in the back of my head. And she just looked at me, and she turned her head, and I, I'd, uh, and she knew that there was a gun in that console. I didn't have to tell her. She was reading everything. She was reading my mind right down to the nitty-gritty. And uh, so she couldn't read English. She said she knew 20 languages. And I, there was a little phrase that I got at the gift shop. It was something that I, a little card. And she looked at it and she said, could you read that for me? I said, you know 20 languages and you can't read it? She said, no, I can't read English. I can speak it, but I can't read it. And I found that, well, that was another red flag popping up in right. you know, languages and all this other stuff. So I read it to her, and she was very, you know, listening to me very intently. She was looking for the emotions more so than anything else. But this guy left again. And then uh, I got used to him coming in and out. I don't know why he did that. We were there for about an hour and a half. He he come, he come was in and out for three times. Uh, after studying Dr. David Jacobs, and I actually met him at a convention and talked to him about my abductions, and he, you know, he talked to me about it, and I, I read some of what he studied about. Uh, they come in threes. They have a protector, and which could have been the NSA or CIA that's protecting these ET humanoids. They're here on working with us. They're actually trading off technology for them being here. And actually, I've been hearing in secret organizations like the Cabal, things of that nature, that these these beings, these humanoid ETs, are within these groups, and they're actually at the tops of the government, uh, you know, power uh, banks, big banks. They're at the top there. Uh, they help control this world. They're they're actually controlling this world in a way. A lot of people don't don't see that, don't believe it, but. Uh, I've been making a study. I got files beside me now, and which could be a book in the future. It's a study on secret societies and uh, my actually direct, uh, you know, uh, you know, direct experience with a couple of them. I love the sound of this, Dave. What's that? I love the sound of this secret society. What they, what you've researched. Yeah, it's yeah. I've I've been finding out quite a bit. Uh, I bet that's fascinating to hear. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna be surprised that the majority of these secret organizations that, that make themselves public, they're scams. They're scammers. Uh, they, when they go, when they, when they try to recruit somebody they uh, they recruit them and they tell you membership is free and all this other stuff. We're talking, uh, we're not talking about the Masons. Masons are organized. They're out there and they, and they let you know what's going on. But the thing, the secret thing about the Masons is when you get to the 33rd seat, that's the highest you can go with the Masons. And actually, President Washington 
and uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin were above the 33rd seat. That means you'd learn all the secrets of life, all the secrets of this planet. So, okay, we'll go back to her Oakland. I'm sorry getting off on that, but uh, we talked for about an hour and a half. She, she kind of told me, she says she likes traveling. I said, oh, you really do? She said, yeah, I was at White Sands, New Mexico, uh, missile base. I said, why would a single woman go there? And she said, I just wanted to see the sand. I looked at her and I said, sure. <laughs> I said, yeah. I said sure. <laughs> okay. I kind of looked out to the side of the window and I looked back at her. I said, okay, I'll, I'll buy that. And she yeah. looked kind of strange. And she was there for technology is what she was there for. Uh, to look at the technology or probably even go invisible and go into those secret areas. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's, that's what she was there for. But uh, I, as I kept talking to her, she kept saying, well, I had to have a baby and we were supposed to meet. She kept repeating those two things. And I said, why could you tell me why I don't know you? How, you know, how do I know you? And so she wouldn't say, she'd just look at me kind of, uh, kind of weird. And I asked her, says, I says, I, then I found out that she practiced uh, her anger emotions. I asked her, I said, how old are you? And I told her how old I was. And she goes, what does age and what does years have to do with anything in life? I said, wow. I said, okay, settle down, settle down. She says, there is no time. There is, there is no years. There are no years. She said, I said, Wow. I, and then a big red flag popped up, you know, so that told me she was from somewhere that they live a long time, like they did back in biblical history in Enoch's time, yeah. they used to be almost a thousand years old, and some even went on uh, for eternity. And so that tells me that she was in a, in a body farm or, or ET farm that lived a long time. And I thought, okay, I'm up against the wall here where, you know, okay, I said, I tell you what, I said, it's getting late. I said, you want to meet for breakfast? Because I didn't want to give up on her because my, you know, my background is in journalism and reporting. I wanted to get everything I could from her because I knew there was a lot of red flags popping up all over the place. So she said, yeah, we'll meet. And I said, well, you know where the 101 omelet place is at? She says, I'll, I'll get there. And I said, 930? She goes, yeah. Well, I went there the next morning. Well, that night I went home. I had a legal yellow pad. I started making notes. I started making, I had about three or four pages of notes from her that night. And I, I thought, okay, this is, this is, uh, this is really odd. And I hope she shows up the next day so I can get more information. So at nine 30, she was a little late, but something told me she was coming. I was standing there in the parking lot and she was about 15, 20 minutes late, but something told me she was coming. I guess she must have t- telepathically told me. Don't worry, don't worry. I'll, I'll be, I'll be there. You know, so she showed up, she gets out of her car, walks over to me. And I said, I said, you're supposed to leave today. She goes, yes. And she, and I told her, I said, I knew you were going to be here. I said, apparently you must've told me. And then she looks at me confusingly, like I'm catching on to her. She, she knew I was starting to catch on to her. She could probably read my mind. And, uh, I, I said to her, I said, did you check out? She goes, check out. I said, yeah, out of your lodge. And I said, if you use the credit card, I said, you need to tell them that you're checking out because they might charge you for next night, you know, if you go past a certain time. And I said, here, she here's another thing, generally, she didn't have earrings. She didn't have, as you can see, she didn't really do her hair up really well. 
and she she didn't have makeup on like most most young women would have she didn't have a watch yeah. she didn't have a cell phone she didn't have a purse none of those and and i thought that was odd very odd yeah, uh, it's unusual line to yeah so we we met we had breakfast we were standing there in the waiting room first and there's a little it was a little uh, gift shop there's about 12 people standing there and they was waiting around to get into in the line and get called in and she looks around and she said the oddest thing she said all these people i looked at her and i said all these people i said there's not that many hiroko and i said in tokyo you have thousands in a square place like this i said there would be thousands i said on the sidewalk in tokyo you're, you're probably having a thousand people in a square block that's that's on the street and i said and this this is all this is a lot of people to you so apparently it told me she's not from tokyo she's probably from some underground base that she doesn't get out that much and she saw all these people so we went in and we ordered breakfast of course i ordered for her because she didn't know what to order and she didn't eat very much at all i ate ate mine of course and uh, we talked it was more or less small talk i you know ask her you know if she ever had any kids and she goes no and uh, she goes i want to have a baby you know that's why i need to have a baby and so when we left she she went to the bathroom and i pointed out to her she went there and then she come out what i was thinking she was doing was any food that she ate she regurgitated because that's not what she eats that's not her diet yeah, so I, I thought that pretty quick. And so we walked out and we took a tour around Sedona. We went to different buttes and we uh, we ended up walking this trail. It was real muddy and there was clay mud. It was slippery and everything. So I decided, I said, no, I don't think we should go any further. We we started walking back and there was a, a, a silt that was running down this little creek and it looked like uh, actually milk chocolate. And I said, wow, that it looks like milk chocolate. She reaches down, puts some on her fingers, and she puts it in her mouth, and she eats it. And she goes, you want some? I said, no. I said, I don't eat that stuff. I said, Hiroko, that's mud. And so we went out to the parking lot, and there was a breeze blowing, and she really loved it. And I got a picture of her with her arms out, stretched out, and she said, oh, this is so beautiful. She said, can you hear? I said, yeah, I hear. And uh and then I told her, I said, I'll pray for you. I took her ha hand and I prayed for her to have a baby and, and, you know, get back in good graces with her boyfriend and her family. And so we got in the car. We went to, we dropped off to have a bite to eat before she, she left. She was supposed to leave. She said to catch a flight in Phoenix and then go to L.A. And I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> you're going to catch uh, some kind of a flight in Phoenix and you're going somewhere else. Uh, and she said, there's a lot of good people in L.A. And I said, I bet, you know, so uh, we went to this restaurant and we ordered a couple of slices of pizza and, and she watched me to see how I ate it. So she learned, learned how to eat it. And uh, so I, I ate some, most of mine and she ate very little of hers again, but this time she carried a little bag. It was about, it was crying, kind of like a cone shape. It was about uh, 10 inches long and it was canvas looking black. And she carried that with her to the restroom and then she come back out and I think maybe whatever things, anything she ate, she regurgitated again. And I thought, okay, this is not fitting her diet. Uh, then she sat there and looked at me and smiled and looked in my eyes and she had real dark piercing eyes. And she said, I like you. I said, I like you too, Hiroko, but who are you? 
I said, I can guess. I said, but I, I'd make you mad if I if I told you what I thought you were. And she kind of looked at me kind of strange. And, and she said, well, we were supposed to meet, and I'm so glad to seeing you and meeting you. I said, okay, really? And I said, uh, and she said, yeah, I, I want to have that baby. That that was the, the the same things over and over, the baby, you know, meeting me, you know, supposed to meet me. It just drew my curiosity so far. Yeah, I th- did. Oh, so she wanted, she wanted the pictures. She said, would you send me pictures? I said, how do I send them to you? And then she gave me an email address and uh, she wrote it down, put it on the back of one of my cards. And I gave her my card in which just had my name and it had my phone number and it had my email. And I said, that's mine. It didn't have my address. I never put my address on my cards. It was just more like a personal card for just a phone call or an email, basically email. So she took that, and then we went back to my room where her car was parked. And I said, I said, well, I guess this is goodbye for now. I said, I hope I see you again. And she goes, yes. She said, she said, uh, I said, uh, I said, I'm going to give you a little kiss. And she pointed at her cheek. And I wasn't going to kiss her in her mouth. I was actually going to kiss her on the head or on the cheek and say goodbye. So she pointed at her cheek and I kissed her. Her skin actually seemed like it was kind of a artificial or could, could I say plastic or, or rubberish like? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, okay. And then she got in her vehicle and then she took off and she drove very fast. I saw her driving and she, she drove really fast. And she must have, well, if you can pilot a, a UFO, I guess you can pilot a car. <laughs> so uh, so she, she took off really fast. And I, that evening, it started raining. And in Sedona, when it starts raining, it's, it's not too attractive. So I said, oh, well, I'm going to leave. I start packing my stuff up, told the, the lodge manager that I'm checking out. And, and uh, lo and behold, I was getting in my car. And on the front porch was setting a uh, an old guy. He looked like an, an old cowboy back in the 1880s, somewhere like that. Had a, had an old hat on, dirty, scrubby-looking hat, and, and, and old denims that were kind of wore out, and boots, really old boots. And he's rocking back and forth in a rocking chair. And he looks at me, he says, I wouldn't go if I were you. I said, what do you mean? He said, I wouldn't leave right now if I were you. I said, well, the news said that the tornadoes, now this, Arizona didn't have tornadoes for 50 years. And they said right. that there's tornado warnings that day. And I said, well, everything's moving west of Flagstaff. And Flagstaff was 30 minutes north of our location in Sedona. And he said, I still would not go. And I said, okay. So I got in my car and I left. When I got to Flagstaff, I felt a little bit of a hail. And then right. when I got on, I got on the interstate, it started hailing big time. I mean, big hail. I mean, it was making splashes in the puddle. My car was being dinged up and it was being battered. And I thought the windshield was going to be broke out. And I tried to stop under an overpass to protect myself a little, but it kept going. I looked up in the sky and above me was a big rotating circular cloud, ugly looking. It was the beginning of a tornado is what it was. And it was a rotating cloud and it was really, I was scared. I said, oh my God. You know, I said, I, I tightened up and lightning was, was striking and, and all this other stuff. And I, I and when I got to uh, Dulce, uh, New Mexico, the famous underground military base, I finally got there and I broke into the, some light and I got through the storm. 
And I stopped at a filling station. I didn't want to look at my car. I, I was scared to. I stopped at a filling station there in Dulce. And when I arrived in Dulce, I had an eerie feeling, a lot of negative energy. It's a small town, but that's where they have this underground base with aliens yeah. working with military. And I, I felt all this negative energy. And I went to the station. I looked out, and I was going to get the gas. And I looked at my car, and I saw the sun shining on it. It had all kinds of dents in it, hail damage. And that's what she was talking about. My car would be damaged, but I'd be able to drive it. And right. I, and I said, oh, my God, she's so true. And she's so, so true about the ET I just met. And I, I went in and I talked to two Apache uh, brothers. Uh, they were big guys. I mean, they were about 6'2", six, 6'4". Six, uh, and I asked them, I said, do you guys ever see UFOs or anything around here? And one of them kind of looked at me and, and he just kind of stared down and he walked away from the counter. Then his brother they look like twins. He looked at me and he goes, yes, we see them all the time on a reservation. He says, why? I said, because I'm an experiencer. I said, I've seen them. I know they exist. I said, I'm just, just looking around and kind of investigating what's going on. And he's, yes, we see them all the time. That's all he said. Uh, I said, okay. So I, I got my gas and I got out of Dulce. I didn't like it in Dulce. I just took off and went down to Santa Fe, and then that went. Is that because of the, you had that, as soon as you got there, you had that uh, almost immediate negative energy? Right, right. I felt it's, the energy. You thought yeah. you'd, you'd get out before uh, anything turned sour, so to speak. Yeah, uh, right. probably the best decision you could have made that day. Yeah, uh, if you feel you like know. something's going to happen, it usually yeah. does, especially if, yeah. you've been, if you've been abducted or contacted by e, uh, UFOs and ETs, they they kind of excite your DNA frequencies. It makes you more hyper alert of your surroundings and also different energies. Uh, I, I notice people that have different energies to them, and I kind of think they could be a humanoid ET, and I actually wow. feel it on, in some people. And I've met, I've actually met some strange people generally that, that just give me that weird feeling of a different energy. Is it, is it like uh, sort of like, you know, when you... you you're not sure of something, and you they always say, always go with your gut feeling. Would you say it was like that, that kind of feeling? Right, it is. It's a gut feeling. It's right. A, right. And you, you learn to read the energy. Actually, they act a little bit out of the norm. If you watch some of these people that are human ETs, and there's a bunch of them, they walk amongst us, just like a lot of scientists say they do. They're humanoids. Some of them are shapeshifters, and, and there are some that are humanoid ETs that are actually from our same galaxy. Uh, so they're here on Earth. Uh, four different species, not species, I guess you call them humanoid ETs, but there's also other uh, aliens here. There's the greys and you have the reptilians that that are shapeshifter, shapeshifters and they're involved in this whole, this whole process of running this world. Uh, we're living in a world that we don't know if it's a hologram uh, or if it's just frequencies or energy. They say our bodies are just made up of 1% matter and the rest of it is, is energy. Uh, and everything is energy and frequency that we see. Nothing's really solid like we think it is. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's real. Yeah, it's yeah, fascinating. It's they're they're finding out more and more about all this. But no, the uh, now when I got home, uh, actually when I was I was going home, I was uh, I was in Smoky the Bear territory. Uh, that's in New Mexico. Can't think of the town there, but I drove through there, and when I drove out of there. There was a noise on my side of my window, uh, and it was a big knock. It's in the book. It's it's uh, the year was 2010, 2011, when these these things happened. Uh, 
and I was out west, I guess, a couple of times one year and another year I was out there a couple of times again. Uh, so it's it's hard unless I look at my time frame uh, when exactly these things happen, but it's in the book. But I felt energy in the car and this road was very pristine. This two lane highway is pristine, no rocks, no nothing on the road. So I knew it wasn't a rock that hit the window or it would have broken. It was a thud. And then I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up and I thought, what's going on here? And so five minutes later, there was another thud. It was like it left. It went out of the window. And I thought something visited me and it was an energy forum some way or another. I went to Roswell, spent a night there and I looked around at the uh, the hangar that was famous and everything. But now they just have airplane parts in there. Now it's kind of a warehouse. And I walked through the place and there was two or three guys sitting at their desk and I walked through there and nobody said anything to me. Nobody, nobody commented to me. Who are you? What are you doing? Uh, and I just walked in, took a few pictures and, and walked out and nobody said a word to me. I thought, well, it's, well, this must not so be strange. You think they would have said something? What are you doing? What's your name? Or something like that, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah it, it, it was strange. But I, I got the pictures and I got, I got out of Roswell. I went to San Antonio. I traveled from there to San Antonio and, and uh, Texas. And a strange thing happened to me there. I talked to this, uh, this gal. She was in her 30s. I think her name was uh, Angela or something like that. Uh, Angel, Angela. And she was real friendly when I walked in. I checked in about eight o'clock that that evening, and uh, she said that her mom and dad saw UFOs. And I said, "Yeah, that's that's what I'm out west for, just doing some research." I said, "I've had some experiences and uh, just looking to investigate more." And she said, "I believe in them." She said, uh, "My mom and dad saw them." She said, and we had a nice conversation for about twenty minutes. So I asked her, "Where's a good place to go eat?" Because I didn't eat anything all that afternoon. So I went. I went somewhere at eight and that day I had a little problem with the car and that's a whole nother story. I don't know if I get into that. And I kind of tore my leg up. Uh, my car ran over me actually. Uh, it ran right. over, my, over my, my foot and it ran over my shoulder and it was at Angel Rock, New Mexico when that happened. And the car, I thought I had it in park and I had my cup of coffee there in the morning and I, I put it down and I was almost sure I had the car in park. And I got out, started taking pictures of Angel Rock, and then all of a sudden, the car started moving. And I said, oh, no. So I threw my camera in, and I tried to jump in. And then when I tried to jump in, the car sped up. And I found out later from the mechanics that when, when the air conditioner kicks in, your RPMs go up to cover the, the energy. And it sped up just when I tried to jump in, and I lost my balance and fell down. And, and I drugged myself trying to hold the car back. And it was going down over this little embankment yeah. and I had to let go of it. And then uh, it kind of tore up my, my left, uh, my left knee, but then I didn't realize it, but it actually ran the tar, the back tar ran over my ankle and I have pictures of the tar marks on my socks and I got pictures of the tar marks over the back of my shirt and on my back. It ran over me. I smelled the rubber when it went past me. I was that close to my tar. Where I smelled the rubber, so it, it almost very, lot, very, very lucky, very lucky. Yeah. yeah, and there was a woman who noticed this. She was in her fifties. She screamed, and she goes, "Oh my God!" And then, uh, you know, the car rolled down the embankment, across the road, and into a, a, a fence. And then she screamed. She said, "Oh my God, are you all right?" 
And I said, yeah, I got up and I said, my legs all scratched up and bloody. And I said, but she goes, no, the car ran over you, sir. She said, I saw it. It ran over you. She said, wow. she said, you, you're okay. And I said, yes, I'm okay. So that's going to be in my angel book because that, that was a story that my angels were with me that day. I was not hurt except yeah. for the scraped up leg. And, and just so happened, I was at Angel Rock. <laughs> so it was weird. But I got the car. Back. I had a lovely just a coincidence, car. mate. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, but getting back to San Antonio with this gal, I went and I, and I took some, because uh, my left leg was kind of achy from the scratches and the stuff, and I was treating it with the antibiotic cream and everything. And uh, I, I took some, uh, some Advil to help me sleep. Oh, ibuprofen to help me sleep and the pain. And so I fell asleep about 10.30. And I got up the next morning about 8.30. I ended up there in, in the office checking out. And uh, I said, how's everything, Angela? And she goes, she looks at me, she gives me a dirty look. And I said, what's wrong? I said, something happened. She goes, you know what happened. I said, what do you mean I know what happened? She said, I saw you last night. I said, yeah, you saw me about 9 o'clock when I checked in or 8.30, 9 o'clock, and I went to dinner and I went to my room and I went to bed. I said, I must. I was in bed at 10.15, probably fell asleep at 10.30 because I took a lot of ibuprofen for my leg. She goes, no, you were at the Walmart about 11.30. I said, no, I was not at the Walmart. I don't even know where the Walmart in San Antonio is. I said, uh, she said, I saw you. She said, it was the same clothes that you had when you were here last night. I said, well, I've changed clothes now. I said, she said, it was you. I know it was you. She said, I saw you. You were looking at me and you were standing there. And I said, did you say hi to that person? She goes, yeah, but they didn't, they didn't speak back. And she said, it scared me because she said she thought it was me following her. I said, look, I was in bed at 9, at 1030 and you saw this at 1130. I said, I'm not that kind of a person. And matter of fact, I don't hate to say this on the hair, but she wasn't that attractive to be following, you know, so I didn't. Say whatever you want, Dave. There's no, <laughs> there's no boundaries. In, yeah. You know, mate. But, yeah. Yeah, I get, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I, even if the woman was beautiful, I still wouldn't have stalked her or, or followed her. I'm not that kind of a guy. I, got, I don't even have yeah, a, yeah. I don't have a, a, a criminal record whatsoever. Uh, even a couple of speeding tickets and one of them I fought and I won. You know, so I'm not that kind of a person. I'm a very uh, law-abiding uh, person, unlike a lot of people nowadays, you know. But uh, I, so I was mad. I said, that was not me. She gave me my receipt, and uh, she goes, oh, yes, it was you. I started walking backwards and looking. I was, I was angry. And here I thought again, generally, I thought, okay, I should talk to the manager that this woman is harassing me over something. But here I was, out of state, in Texas, a woman's word against a man's word. I wouldn't have won. I wouldn't have won that argument at all. So I just got in my car. I was mad. I was really pissed off. And I took off. And I said, wow. Oh, man. I, I said, I should go back and talk yeah. to the manager and talk to the manager about her, you know. I said, I said, this is something that hurt my, it hurt my soul, actually, to, to be accused of something like that. I, I'm not like that. So I thought, okay, she's crazy. You know, something's wrong with her. So I went on home, uh, got my car fixed and all this other stuff. But when I went to get my car uh, estimated at my dealership for the dings from the, from the uh, hail damage, 
I sat there and the guy said he'll be right out in a couple minutes. I was sitting there for two minutes, just two minutes on this bench, waiting for the estimator to come out. Another guy walks by me. He wore shorts. This looked like he got off the golf range. And he looked, he seemed, he had, the, he had the look of a lawyer, I guess. And he says, wow, you've been sitting here a long time. I said, no, sir. I said, I just sat down about a minute or two ago. I said, I just got here. And I said, I'm waiting for, he said, no, you've been here for two hours. He said, I've been here waiting for my car for that long. I said, he said, you've been here for two hours. No, sir, I haven't. I said, no, I just sat down. He said, I'm not getting into physical details or anything, but it was you. He said, I know it was you. And he got angry. I said, no, sir, it's no sense being angry. No, let's just forget about this. You know, it wasn't me. But, and he said, oh, yes, it was. And I thought, I thought he's going to hit me. So he could be like one of those doppelgangers. Bingo. Exactly what I was going to say. Right, right. It it made, it made sense. The incident in, in, in uh, San Antonio just two days prior. And then that incident happened just just, like I said, two days later. And I thought, okay, doppelganger, war dog, and also ETs can make duplicates of you. And they, they do. They make duplicates of humans so they can travel around in human society. And that's why sometimes you see these doppelgangers like humanoids that may not have the same emotional sense that, that the real person that they copied has. Like I said, they can't copy emotions too well. So these people that have this strange energy that have this dull emotional aspect about them, they could be, you know, duplicated by ETs in order for them to to gain access to the human society to keep an eye on it better. Yeah, so that was fascinating that you think of the the links, the extreme links, what they go to. Yeah, right. And uh, yeah. So I, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I've been through so much, uh, that, uh, oh, still, they're still with me. A lot of people I talked to, uh, Dolly Saffron, she was with, uh, Preston Dennett on my show the other day and she was very detailed in her, she doesn't call it an abduction. She calls it a contactee. She's a very intelligent person. She really laid it out online very seriously. And she was very, I asked her some questions. I didn't want to interject any of my happenings to her because it was their show, not mine. And that's the way I am. I will, I will answer and say, yes, I, I know that quite well. And I will say that sometimes when they, when they hit the, when they hit the nail on the head, I'll say, yes, I know that feeling quite well. Uh, but she was talking very much like a contactee type thing and that you draw them to you through your consciousness. And I, I really felt that was really good. And, and Preston Dennett, uh, 29 books, he's a prolific writer, nice guy. And, uh, you know, so I wanted him on my show for some time. But, yeah, I uh, I also talked to Yuri Geller. Uh, give a shout out to Yuri Geller. I, him and I are friends and we just talked. Oh, nice one, Yeah. So, and uh, David Young uh, is, is one of the guys you might know is a podcaster in England, UK. Uh, David Young. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know him? I'm not familiar, mate, but I will, uh, I will have a look for him uh, yeah. when we finish speaking, Charlie. I've been on his show once or twice, twice. Nice. I think. nice. And I'll be there uh, after the first of the year. He's going to schedule me in. Uh, and, and then there's a, uh, a, Nick Hunter, you know him? Nick Hunter. Yeah. He's also UK. Uh, 
and I'm not familiar with these, mate. I'm gonna. Yeah, those. I'm making I, notes of these names, so I will. I will. I want to look as soon as we finish, like. Yeah, uh, there's been several others that I've that I've been on shows with, and they're great guys. And all you UK yeah, guys, yeah. I always say this on the air. I said, you guys are always nice. You're always very gentlemanlike, uh, and you know you you just you know your topics, you know your subjects, and it's great. So I don't. It's hard for me to refuse a, a UK uh, interview. And uh, oh, that's nice to hear that, Dave. Yeah, really. I've, I've had a lot of people in the UK that know me, and uh, it's it's the second, it's my second homeland. I guess you can say, as far as all this UFO stuff is concerned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really, I guess I guess we'll get to we're getting we're getting into I guess uh, our time here. Let me get into the one of the biggest abductions I've ever had, and then also yeah. the return of Hiroko, and that should probably wind up the show. I got a lot more. And I'll be real quick on what's happening to me now. Yeah, mate. Well, like I said, Dave, we can do it in um, as a series um, because this is so vast. Um, yeah. Just this book alone. Right. Um, my uh, my big abduction. I had one before this big one. I had electrical shocks. They sound like static energy, like you bought you bust a box of crackers and it just all all kinds of static noise. Well, this big one I had, I had a small one before this one, but the big one I had, I was hit in the shoulder. I was, it was about 1.30 in the afternoon. I could see the sun coming through the door, and I had the bedroom door open. I laid down to stretch my back. I was in the office, and actually their approach to you is that they hit you with energy. They make you tired. They, want, they make you where you, you will retire to a bed or rest, and, and then that's, that's when they interesting. Yeah, that's the first stage of what they do is they hit you. They, they wear you down that you're tired. So you'll lay down and you're more malleable and they can handle you better. So I laid down resting my back, but I was wide awake. And actually I had my, my left hand against the headboard and I was looking out the door and I was just stretching my back on my left side. All of a sudden I heard all this crackling sound behind me. Uh, you know, and I looked, tried to look around as soon as I did, I was hit in the shoulder with this energy. Uh, it just snapped and popped and I just straightened out and I, you know, it's like, wow. I was being electrocuted. I thought, wow, what's going on? I have nothing close to me that's electrical. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, even my, my nightstand was was battery operated. And I thought, what's going on here? And then I tried to turn again and it hit me again. And then at that time, I was straightened out. My hand was up in the air towards the, uh, I, can, I can roll my eyes and look at the door. I can kind of look at part of the closet and the door, but I couldn't turn to look at what was behind me. So coming through the door, I heard a voice. It says, Dave, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. And it was my sister's voice, except my sister died four years prior to that. Oh, and sorry I, for you lost, Dave. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, that's thank you. I think, thank you, General. Uh, but it was her voice. Right. And I said, I said, listen, I said, sissy, come to the door. I called her sissy. She said, I can't. I said, come to the door where I can see you. She said, I can't. She said, but you can do it. And I thought, okay, do what? All of a sudden, in my left fingers, I felt the baby's hand drop down on my fingertips. I felt the palm of the hand. I felt the fingers. I pulled on it. It was human. And it was a baby, a baby's hand. I said, oh, no, what's this all about? Then I felt something touch me on the leg. And then I felt somebody sitting next to me, like it weighted the bed down a little bit. And I thought, oh, no, what's next? So... I think I kind of lost it there. And I said, I screamed out, God help me. And like I said, I'm a God fearing person. I said, God help me. 
and then it all went away. It was gone. So uh, I think it was actually Hiroko who come back uh, because she did come back. And I'll tell this story real quick. She come back in, uh, uh, it was it was April 9th, I believe. No, March 17th is April 9th is when I saw the huge triangle crash. But uh, March 17th is St. Patrick's Day, 2011. My cousin and I was sitting on my front porch. We were smoking cigars, really beautiful day that day. And we saw the three Asians at the, there was about 200 feet or so away from us and it was near the road, the highway there. And they were by the stop sign. And my cousin said, who are those Chinese? I said, I don't think they're Chinese. I think they're Japanese. And then they started walking towards us. Well, there was a lady and two young men. And and I thought, okay, the lady stopped and turned around. And I knew it was Hiroko. She had the same white, thin sweater and the denims on exactly what she had on five, six months prior to that in Sedona. Now, Sedona was October. Now, this was March of 2011, just five months later. And she brought these two, these two young boys walked up to us. They were dressed like teenagers, typically. They were tall for Japanese, and they had different bone structure in their face. One looked like he was about 15. The other one looked like he was about 16. He was a little taller, and, and he was kind of like the leader. Well, they walked up to us. My cousin and I both looked at them, and my cousin asked me, do you know him? I said, I might. I just said, I might. And he looked at me kind of strange, and uh, they asked where the new Walmart was at. And that was just small talk. And, and I said, it's over this overpass, just a quarter mile. And uh, so that was it. We were turned off. I couldn't talk. My cousin couldn't talk. And he usually talks 100, mile, 100 miles an hour. You know, and he's usually asking people questions. As a matter of fact, it gets kind of rude sometimes. But he was yeah. gone. He was, his eyes were glazed over, and he's looking down at the, at the sidewalk. And, and these two were standing about 10 feet away from us. And I noticed they had these black piercing eyes, just like their mother, Hiroko, and that's what I'm calling it. And and I thought, okay, I, I looked down, I looked down the road at the at the woman, and I, I wanted to tell them it was on the tip of my tongue, but I could not talk. They had us dumbed down. They had magnetic energy on us, and we was dumbed down. We couldn't talk. I could see. They they give me the abilities to see, and I was able to look at them. They're dark. They had really dark eyes, and they were looking at me really piercingly. And, and one must have walked past me and went in my office area and got out a pleather case. I call it a pleather case. It wasn't leather. It's kind of like a vinyl. I keep my records in there and the, to keep them from the rain. And he had that out in front of me. And I didn't even notice he went past me. So he must have, they must have really had me dumbed down when they were moving. And then he opened it. He looked in it and he looked over at me, kind of like give me a dirty look. And he looked around inside of it. And actually, I had some notes about his mother in that folder. But I think he took some of them because I didn't find some of the yellow pages, the initial pages. Oh, right, right. He took some of those notes, and I didn't see him do it. Of course, he had me dumbed down and blacked out. But but then I went and I looked at it the next day. I thought, oh, wait a minute. I, I looked at the case. I noticed there were some notes missing, but I laughed. And I said, that's okay. I got backups. I made copies of those notes. And I also uh, printed some of that information into the computer. So I said, he wasn't so smart being an ET. He didn't get everything. So I went. So I, I thought to myself, when they, he, he took it back in, I didn't see him. Then they slowly walked away. When they hit the front of my yard, my, my road, uh, my street there, 
I started being able to see him and watch him. My cousin was still out of it. I looked over at him and he was still looking down at the, at the, actually the, the, the porch. And I thought, okay, he's still out. And I was watching them and that's walking towards the, the lady and which was Hiroko. It looked like her, had her arms, she had her arms folded just like her. I knew it was her, uh, no doubt. And then my cousin finally woke up and he says, how long have you been watching him? I said, I, I just been watching him for about 30 seconds. You just now finally come to. He said, yeah, what's going on? I said, you, I said, I'll tell you later. I said, let's watch him. So we watched them meet up with her. And he said, he said, Dave, I want to give you a warning. He said, you're messing with ETs. Now I didn't put this in his head. He told me, he said, these are ETs. He said, you're messing with these people. They're going to kill you one of these days. I said, well, they haven't yet. Cause I call him cuz, and, and, he, and, and he, so they, they walked up and they joined her and then they walked to the stop sign. I said, let's just watch what happens. Well, within a blink of an eye, they were gone, just disappeared. And, and they didn't go down the road or up the road and they didn't have a vehicle. They didn't have no transportation and we could see up and down the road very clearly if they would have walked either way. And he said, my cousin said, they're gone. I said, yeah, just, in thin air, they were just disappeared. He said, this is crazy. And he used a few, uh, you know, cuss words. And he said, I am getting out of here. He said, this is crazy. And he turned pale white and he was scared. He was actually really scared. He got in his truck. He said, he said, you better watch your ass, Dave. He said, you're into some serious stuff here. And so he gets in and takes off. I see his wife the next day. And she said, what did, what did you do to him? I said, I did nothing. I said, I said, the ETs did it. And she looked at me strange. She said, well, he saw and witnessed something. She said, or he wouldn't have been acting that way. I said, yeah, he did. He did see and witness something that's weird. Yes. So I, that's why I know that, that Hiroko is an ET. And that's why I put her in the book. Yeah. Would, yeah. I, would I put, now generally, would you, would, legally, would you put somebody in a book and say they're an ET? <sighs> There'd be some ramifications there. Yeah, I, I, there's no doubt, mate. But if I was dead certain, uh, why not? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll close by saying uh, that two years or so ago, I had I filmed a few ETs inside the house when my wife was in the Philippines. She was gone for a couple of months. I filmed these ETs in my house on my trail camera. It was infrared. I got some pictures of them, and I got other. I got some videos of, of a couple, and their oh, heart. Mate, that's got, brilliant. Yeah, That's brilliant. Yeah, they're infrared, and they. The reason why I know Linda Moulton Hall, I talked to her. We're we're friends. Uh, uh, I buy cell phone. I I know some of these people really well. So, she asked me, said, "Why did you have your trail camera on your kitchen table, Dave?" And I said, "Well, the night before, Linda, I said my my alarms were going crazy. I said it kept me up all night. I said when my wife left, I said these things just kept me up all night. They'd go off every hour on the hour." And I said, this motion detector is great. It always worked really good. The batteries are good. Everything worked fine. And I said, I knew there's something wrong. Because the first time it went off, I actually grabbed my weapon and a flashlight and went downstairs in my condo to check and see if there's anybody inside. Yeah, yeah. And nobody yeah, was Don't blame me. Nobody was there. And nobody was in the, in the condo. And so I went to bed. But an hour later, it went off again. It was hard for me to sleep. And then it went off all night long. And then at eight o'clock in the morning, my wife called me and said that she was safe. She landed. Okay. Everything's fine. She's with her family. I said, I said, well, great. And then the alarm went off. And the first thing my wife said to me on the phone, and this is very unusual. It must've been a gut feeling for her. She said, your buddies are there, aren't they? 
And I said, yes, they are. I said, they, they've been setting off the alarm all night. And she said, so did you in a way, didn't they? Yeah, so she's. Oh, maybe they were trying to get like your attention or something. Yeah, but I had orbs. I got pictures of orbs all over the place. Uh, <sighs> they were there here. I think they're here all the time, uh, generally, because the things that's been happening to me, I've been frozen uh, each year for the last six years, uh, frozen around three o'clock in the morning, Jesus. laying there dead with my arms folded. I've asked my doctors, three of them, what's going on. They couldn't tell me. I was I was like I was like a deep freeze. My arms and my legs were frozen. I was shaking the bed so violently that my wife should have woke up, but she didn't. And normally she would hear my cell phone hit the carpet with a thud. She'd she would wake up. What's that? But she, I shook the bed so violently, she should have been awake 10 times over. And she did yeah. not wake up because they had her out. And they, what they did was they took me dimensionally. They took my energy, my consciousness, and, and left my body. And they took everything else for a visit to another dimension. I don't have a memory of it, but I knew something happened. I had to get up and pee real quick. I went to the bathroom, and I come back in the bed. I covered up, and I was shaking. And I fell right to sleep because I was so wore out. I was exhausted. It happened every year around August, between August 11th and August 14th, and once September 2nd. And six years in a row. Yeah, one. Yeah, and I asked my doctor, who's an excellent doctor. She looked at my charts. She looked at everything. She said, "There's nothing on your charts. No sugar, diabetes, or anything that would cause that." And she said, "I'm confused." And I said, "I said, yeah. I said it happens the same day, almost to the day." every year for six years she looked at the other doctor and they shook their head and they said can't tell you dave that we don't know that's strange and also i've been having other strange little things just recently like uh my tv which is cable i had the remote near me about four feet away actually on my nightstand and every morning about 6 30 or 7 my wife and i listen to the soundscapes the sleepy time music we play it real low at night and yeah. we, we got used to playing that all night long. But at 6.30 or whenever I'm, I come conscious, I come awake, every time I kind of come awake, the channels change on their own. It goes from it's from 970, 9.74 to channel 48, in which is Fox News. And I think, what's going on here? And it's been happening almost every morning. And it, it, it triggers when I'm when I wake up consciously. My mind must be doing it. And it's weird. So something is just, and I asked the uh, Spectrum people, the people that were technicians, I asked uh, an expert at the maintenance uh, customer service, they ask around people, and they said there's nothing we know that could cause that. But that's strange. So that's yeah, really strange. strange mate, so that's the paranormal stuff. I also have an implant in my, my left ear, and I touch my teeth, and it starts whistling whenever I touch my front teeth with my tongue. And I told the doctors that and they couldn't figure that. They still can't figure that out. And then now it's it's starting to have a little thump, like a like a telegraph sound, like a little tap 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 on my eardrum yeah. every night about the same time between 11:30 and midnight. So uh, another thing that they're signaling me and they're letting me know that they're around. So that's that's it. What's going on? Uh, and uh, wow, of course, mate. been a lot. Of this wow. happened, but uh, yeah. But if people read the book, they what do they want? They'll they'll see most all the stories in there. But the newest stuff, uh, the stuff that's been happening this past year, uh, uh, I haven't put in there. These are 
I call them the paranormal things that the yeah yeah they yeah. let you know that they're around yeah. Well, Dave, uh, for an introduction in, in, into your story, for you know the book, Dave, fascinating. Uh, that is truly fascinating. What we've just spoke. Well, I appreciate. Uh, it. I, I tell you what, mate, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it all. Yeah, I, uh, I look forward to, to meeting you again and uh, we can talk. Definitely, you. mate, definitely. Um, I mean, before you go, Dave, would you like to let everybody know where they can get hold of you, please? Uh, I, I will put your contact details in the show notes as well. Okay, well, actually, I don't have a particular website, but what I've, what I've got is I got a website on the EBL. Uh, EBL? Yeah, publishing. A publishing company. It's on my second book, Senseless Wars. And then I got Hangar One, Hangar and Number One Publishing. That my book's on that site. Uh, that's that's another site that I'm on. Also, I'm on, uh, you can see me on uh, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble. Uh, I got videos all over the place. You look up Google search and punch in my name and put UFO abductions. And you'll get you'll get hundreds of shows and and uh, and information and stories about my books in there. That's fantastic, mate. That is fantastic, uh, Dave. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a true honour speaking with you, mate. And I can't wait till we uh, speak shortly with uh, part two for everybody. Yeah, and we'll we'll uh, get into angels and watchers, and I'll get into the. Oh, uh, mate, yes, I, I would love that. That would be brilliant. Angel and ET connection that I'm just about ready to finish that book. Uh, wow. The book is going to be so long. It's got so many details in it that I'm going to have to make yeah. notes myself when I get done. <laughs> it's, 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 well, a, it's, to me, it's, it's a fantastic. And actually I'm, I'm actually doing a chapter and my wife, who's a fundamentalist, uh, she yeah. didn't want me to talk about demons or the devil, but I have to do that because they were fallen angels and they're part of the whole angel thing. And You've I got have, a point there, mate. You've got a point. I just got done uh, writing about Lucifer. I'm about ready to finish that up. Lucifer and and the devil and Satan are different. They were called yes. different names by Isaiah in the in the Bible. And Lucifer is not the same as the devil or Satan. Uh, a lot of this mythology or a lot of the the biblical text, and especially with Isaiah, started a lot of that with, with Satan and the fallen angel. It's, it's confusing. If, if Lucifer is supposed to be the morning star and he's supposed to be the, the light, uh, you know, and they call him the light. So if it's light, it can't be bad. But I'm trying to find out, uh, you know, I've been hearing this about Lucifer not being the devil or Satan. Uh, the devil and Satan are, are two bad boys. But Lucifer is is still, a lot of scholars are still out on, on the word, it, it you know, because cause it could be Jehoshaphat, it could be Babylonian kings, uh, in which they, in which Isaiah probably called Lucifer, but it's, so yeah, it's, it's, and all the parallels, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and the angels that appeared to, uh, you know, uh, President Washington, uh, he was a general at the time, but the angels that appeared to him, and also the Saint Germain, who appeared in the in the writing of the uh, of the Constitution and and all and also the Declaration of Independence, he was there helping them. He was tall, six foot four, very lanky, very pale, 
and he'd come and he went. Nobody ever saw him come and go. He was an angel, and he travels throughout history. So I've got all of that in this book. It's going to be, I mean, it's I've got everything in this book. So uh, to, for those who want Angels 101 and also uh, kind of get an idea what all these cryptids are and what all these ETs are and, and things of that nature, this, this is going to be a book that's going to cover all of it. I love the sound of this, Dave. I really do. Uh, it's all fascinating, mate, isn't it? The possibilities are, are endless. Yes, they are. We're living in a supernatural world, universe. Uh, Definitely, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Definitely. Well, Dave, uh, thank you very much. That was brilliant. Um, I can't wait till we speak again, mate. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to start recording now, mate. Okay. This six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.